0: This podcast is also part of a pod course, which is available for credit on SpeechTherapyPD.com. All you need to do is register
1: for the course, complete the requirements, and you will receive credit. SpeechTherapyPD.com is a video continuing education company, a certified ASHA CE provider.
0: First Bite sure does love some freebies, and I grew up loving some coupons. That's my folks' way of saying coupons. I can't even say it correctly. (laughs) And so to start the new year off right, we wanted to do a little give back. So if you head on over to SpeechTherapyPD.com and enter the code FIRSTBYTE, not to be confused with the autocorrect of Frostbite, well, then you will find a fabulous $10 off coupon for an annual subscription. That will give you access to all of the 1 to 3 hour webinar courses as well as all the first bite pod courses for CEUs for an annual membership of only $79. But hey, do you want more? Don't you love that cheesy sales line? I love that cheesy sales line. Okay, well, if you do, you can use that same coupon First Bite and access all of the courses on SpeechTherapyPD.com's website for a fabulous deal of 179 a year. Whoop, whoop. So don't forget, plug in the coupon First Bite when you check out at the SpeechTherapyPD.com website. Happy listening, y'all. Hi, it's Erin. I'm your regular co-host of First Bite. First of all, I want to thank y'all so much for tuning in and listening to First Bite. We've been incredibly encouraged and excited by the feedback we've received and are looking forward to the future. In the meantime, if you've been enjoying First Bite, please take a moment, maybe pause your device to subscribe, leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. This podcast started out as a small idea to bring convenient, tangible resources to SLPs and other professionals, and we value your feedback more than anything. Leaving those reviews truly helps us out. Enjoy the episode and thanks for listening. Hi, folks, and welcome to First Bite, fed, fun, functional resources for the pediatric clinician. I am your host on this nerd venture, Michelle Dawson, ccc SLP, the all things PEDS SLP. I am a colleague in the trenches of home health early intervention right there with you. I run my own private practice, Heartwood Speech Therapy, in Town, South Carolina, and guest lecture nationwide on best practices for early intervention for the medically fragile child. First Bite's mission is short and sweet, to bring light and hope to the world for the pediatric clinician, parent, or advocate. In this podcast, we cover everything from AAC to breastfeeding best practice for running a private practice, and all the nitty-gritty details involving feeding and swallowing by interviewing the subject matter experts themselves. We bring the data to you. Every fourth episode, I am joined by the lovely Erin Forward, MSP, CF, SLP, a Yankee transplant who actually inspired this journey and who also walks the wild, woolly, and sometimes sticky walk of early intervention with us. Sit back, relax, and watch out for all the squirrels, and enjoy this geeky gig brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. Welcome to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional resources for the pediatric clinician. I'm your host, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. The topic of today falls in both the functional categories and fun, and I'm sort of geeking out because I have a huge nerdy gal SLP crush on our speaker today, which she probably didn't even realize, so way to go, Michelle, for making her feel uncomfortable right out the gate. And now that I have embarrassed myself, on with the show. Okay, so Becca Hoke, MS, CCC SLP, is a LAMP educator with the Center for AAC and Autism. If that doesn't ring a bell, well then, she is one of the AAC gurus that travels the nation and does trainings on LAMP, Language Acquisition Through Motor Planning. Her courses can vary from one to three to five days long, as well as 90-minute to three-hour short courses at state association conventions. Hint, hint, hint. Any convention planners out there listening, y'all want them to come. Trust me, like, the room was packed and they were like trickling down the hallway when they came to us. So skish up, whoop, skisha. Okay. So if you still need your memory job, this is one of the AAC speech generating device programs that I am head over heels in love with. I once asked my mentor, Dr. Carol Page, which class she recommended that I take next. That was it. Granted, this was it. This was the course she recommended I take. Now, my three-day training was kind of shortened to one the first time I registered to take it because it's South Carolina. And obviously, a hurricane had to blow through that week. Like not making that up, that really happened because that's how cool and is. But since that one kind of shortened down to one day course, I've actually gone back for some additional courses with them. And every time I'm blown away by how fantastic motor programming with Core Vocab really is for giving our patients a voice, a real functional voice. Okay, so Becca, I'm a fan. So awkward turtle
1: transition to you, but hello, lady. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> I am wonderful, Michelle, and I am really excited to be able to talk with you this morning. Yay, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, so how did you do this? How did you
0: go from being a speech pathologist to an AAC guru, and now you're like one of the lamp trainers? Because this is cool.
1: So my story, my AAC days really started when I was in elementary school. My dad was an SLP, and and he worked primarily in AAC for as long as I can remember. So I started off as a really little, you know, young child, five, six, seven years old, with my dad bringing home those AAC devices, and my brother and I loved nothing more than to record our voices on his students' devices, and just thought that was, you know, the coolest thing ever, that his students had our voice on their devices. So that's where my AAC experiences even started. Um, and I, I really attribute, I think, my interest in AAC to him. I started in, so I went to college um, to become a speech pathologist. I went to Kutztown University for my undergrad. Okay. Where is that? I've never even heard of this. So I am in Pennsylvania. So Kutztown is in Pennsylvania between Allentown and Reading area. Okay, it sounds really cold. It, it <laughs> is cold, yes. Definitely colder here than it is there.
0: Okay, so I know Pittsburgh, I know Philadelphia, yeah. and then I know the
1: TV show, The Office. So oh, where are you in yeah. relation to those three things? Well, easy. So I am South Central Pennsylvania, smack between Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. Three hours from each. Perfect. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right, now now I can kind of <laughs> sort of find you on a map. But yeah, yeah there you go. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you did underground at Kutztown. Kutztown, yep. I actually did kind of delayed my grad work and I got a a position in the school system and worked for a couple of years and ended up going back and getting my graduate degree at Westchester University, also in Pennsylvania, Okay. uh, while I was working. Sweet. So my career was not always, while I was always interested in AAC, I wasn't always in a position or in a school setting where I had a lot of students on my caseload that needed AAC. My position changed over the years a little bit, um, but I always had an interest in it. I always knew that that's where my heart was, that that's where my passion was. And the way I kind of made the transition to what I'm doing now with the Center for AAC and Autism. So I went to that first LAMP training, that first LAMP workshop Mm -hmm. in 2008 which was one of the very first trainings, went and heard John Halloran. And I was crushing then too. You talk about... <laughs> yes! <laughs> you know? The first time I heard the message, the first time I heard all about this lamp approach, everything I heard made sense to me. Everything I heard, everything Click. I sat and listened to just clicked. Yes, exactly. Yep. It made sense. It was in line with what I already knew about teaching language. And so from there, I just... You know, over the the course of the next, I guess, that was 2008 and we're now 2019. So the course of the next, you know, 10, 11 years, we, as a building, the school that I worked in really began to implement the LAMP methodology with all of our students that were in need of an AAC system. Awesome. And I kept going back to those LAMP trainings and those LAMP workshops and having John Halloran come into our building and, and hosting additional trainings. And I think what kind of has driven me and gotten me to the point where I am today is, is all the success that I saw in the students that I was working with and all the gains in language and in functional communication. And I got to a point where I wanted to begin to kind of move into a role where I could share that information, that knowledge with other people to spread the wealth, so to speak. Yes.
0: <laughs> I love that because I mean, I know whenever like I'm having an opportunity to talk about like peds dysphagia, if functional communication comes up, I'm like, oh my God, you got to go check out this you program. Go, yeah, you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And people are like, how does that correlate to pediatric dysphagia? But like, <laughs> if you think about it, a lot of our kiddos that have significant swallowing impairments and are also going to have other like functional delays and it kind of goes, yes. Okay. So let's jump in it. Okay. Yep. Right. So we've touched base in the past and I feel like, you know, Dr. Carol Page, the director of the South Carolina assistive technology office. Also, you guys go check out the South Carolina assistive technology office. It will blow your mind what resources they have available for free. And you can take patients there. And every state has a variation of that. So reach out to your state assistive technology office but we've had her on and she's talked about core vocab in the past but that's several months ago so can you please describe what core vocab is and then the evidence behind its use versus AAC equipment that's heavy on like fringe vocab and nouns can absolutely. you absolutely
1: yeah. go there for yeah, us yeah so i think you know first of all what we have to talk a little bit about is what that word core means and what that term core vocabulary is And, you know, when we look at the term core, it's a linguistics term, and it's a term that really refers to the overall word frequency in any language. And those word frequency counts are something that's consistent across clinical populations, consistent across activities, places, topics, demographic groups. So that term core, when we think about core vocabulary, 80% of what we say, the words we use in a day, are made up of a small set of 350 to 400 words. And those words are what we call your core words, your high-frequency vocabulary. The other 20% of what we say on a daily basis is made up of that extended, that fringe vocabulary or those nouns. And when you look at, you know, we talk a little bit about the research. When we look at the research and we look at the studies that are out there, what we see is that there's a core vocabulary that's predictable and it's stable across all studies, while the words that are more related to specific activities, specific topics, are nouns tend to vary really tremendously across studies and are less predictable.
0: Okay, so can you give us some examples mm-hmm. of core versus French?
1: Yes. So when you're thinking about core vocabulary, those are going to be a lot of your function Words. A lot of your verbs: do, more, want, go, stop, down, up, down. Yep. Yeah. In, out, on, off. Right. Yep. Your fringe vocabulary is going to be your very specific activity-specific or theme-specific. So those are going to be. You know, when I'm talking about eating, eat is a core word, but apple and pizza and pancake, pepperoni. Right. Yes. Are Fringe vocabulary. Well, yeah, That pepperoni
0: is a high frequency fringe vocab over here. Yeah.
1: So so that's your personal core, I would call that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yes. <laughs> and for the record, mommy doesn't eat
0: the pepperoni, but I have two carnivores for sons. Oh, so like, I like Yeah. They
1: like that so and that's a personal core word for them, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. And folks, that's dynamic. So when you're setting up and you go in to think about like core versus fringe, each family unit, each and remember when you're working with the child, you're also working with their family. They have their own unique fringe, or as you referenced it, their unique core words that are critical and crux to them. So we have to teach the child to say what they want to, want say, to say, not what we want them yes, to say. Exactly, and that was. Dude, I bombed on that my first several years as a clinician, and I think I've only done a better job of that within the last two years. But like, I failed. And again, in case you haven't heard me admit it already, y'all, I was the queen of taking photos of objects, laminating them, and then spending copious Friday nights Velcroing them to books. I was the queen of all (laughs) things that... And then I saw the light. So like,
1: <laughs> yay! That's I saw the light too, because I was right there with you. I, just I know. Things. Oh, oh, God, that's and great. Heard, okay.
0: Yes. So I just have to know, me being totally nerdy, what is in your household,
1: your unique friends, unique core vocab to you guys? Oh, so, so our personal core here, well, for me, one of them is coffee. Yes, ditto. Kombucha. Ooh, yes. Is another high frequency word in our house <laughs> mm-hmm. <A> mess. <laughs> notice they're all food related yeah <laughs>
0: food but you know we build our day around meals right like let's do. be honest like most of our joyful moments are related are to around food. the table right yes absolutely or a good kitchen island i love a good kitchen island yeah. where like you can like
1: lean on and yeah, hang out and house. everybody everybody gravitates there yeah.
0: yes yes All right. So how does core vocabulary tie into motor planning and programming as it pertains to the use of an AAC device? And for me personally, this is where LAMP stood out as being different than others on the markets, because this to me was like what just kind of really made it. I mean, oh my gosh, the videos that they show of these kids utilizing their devices, they're playing it without looking at it. It looks like they're playing a guitar with their hands, but their AAC device. It's
1: amazing. So
0: explain right. core vocabulary yes. and motor planning. And motor planning. Yes.
1: So I think, you know, when we look at, when we talk about core vocabulary and we talk about the importance of providing our kids and our AAC users with core vocabulary, we look at the research and we know that there's the stable core vocabulary. We know that in any language, there's this small set of core words. So what does that mean then when we're planning? RAAC intervention, or designing a speech generating device. Why do we teach core? Well, we have to teach something, right? Mm -hmm. So do we focus on words that are lower in overall word frequency and overall use that are really specific to a limited range of topics and activities? Or do we focus on teaching them the words that are common in all those lists, those words that are highly likely to be used across settings and across activities. Okay. So I
0: have a thought, and this was one just to insert here. Mm -hmm. Folks, when you're working in like the early childhood special education settings, and I have been there and done this, I worked with a lot of amazing ECSE teachers, but they would always have thematic units. At the time, I would focus on the vocab associated with those thematic units. But for these children, that might not be ideal. This is your opportunity to take and work on the core vocab that correlates to that thematic unit. Like one of my all-time favorite books, The Big Red Barn. I love The Big Red Barn, (laughs) right? It's precious. It's adorable. I'm not worried about naming horse, cow, cat, but the big little up, down, in, out. He went in, he went out. He was up when the sun came up. He went down when the moon went down or moon came up, you know, those kind of things.
1: Right. And I think that's a great point to bring up too, because when we think about a lot of our AAC users, for a lot of our kids, when we're first starting to introduce this, they have a small developing vocabulary. Yes. And so are we going to give them those nouns? Or are we going to give them words that are going to give them a lot of bang for their buck with a small developing vocabulary? I always talk, in my trainings to people about this. And, you know, one of the examples I give is, you know, that I had a student in particular that I always think about who we started introducing LAMP. He was using LAMP words for life on his device. The progress, the rate of acquisition of language for him was a little slow going. And, you know, for the first year, he had 10 to 15 words that he was using consistently and functionally. And I think about, you know, a kid like that, what happens when they've only got 10 to 15 words that they're using, if they've got 10 nouns, 10 food items, what are they able to do with those words? They can request food, they can label, but it's very limiting. So, you know, if I've got a kid who's got a lot of strong core vocabulary, you know, more and stop and go and mine and, you know, like, not like, when they've got, those core vocabulary words or those high-frequency words, there's a lot more that they can communicate even with that really small vocabulary. Yeah. So I think what we have to consider too, not only are we thinking about the words that we're giving our, our AAC users, the words that we're teaching them, and are those words words that they're going to use frequently, but are those words also reflective of the words that they hear everybody else using around them? Because oftentimes what we find and, you know, what we know with, you know, about kids, about how they develop language is that oftentimes when we give them those core vocabulary words, those high frequency words, and they begin to establish motor plans for those words and, and get that motor memory for a word, that in turn improves their receptive understanding of mm-hmm. that. So, if they have motor memory for the words that they're hearing everybody else around them use, it's in turn, it's going to improve their expressive language, but also it improves their receptive language and understanding and their ability to process the information that they're hearing to segment that incoming speech that they're hearing from others around them.
0: Okay, can you please explain what motor memory is for those that are not familiar with it? Absolutely.
1: So when we talk about motor memory, I think what we have to kind of look at first is think about typical speech development and what does that process look like. So for young children who are just learning language, those babies that are just starting to babble, what's going on in that process as they're learning to produce those words for the first time? They're making a motor movement with their mouth, with their articulators, and they hear that the sound that's being produced by that movement. Mm-hmm. So they're pairing the motor movement on their lips, on their tongue with the sound they hear or the word that's produced by it. And then they're learning the meaning of those words based on how we react. So the first time, you know, and we, as those of us that are mothers really can attribute to this, right? The first time the baby says mama, right? You say mama, mama, <laughs> you it and you clap and you come running and Right. And so our children are, that's exactly what they're doing when they're learning languages. They're pairing that motor movement with what they hear and what they see happen. Mm-hmm. And that's how they're learning language. And they're building motor memory. They're building motor plans for those words. So what happens is once I learned to, to motorically produce that word with my articulators, the way I say that word never changes the rest of my life. I produce that motor movement in the same way every time. If I move my articulators in a different way, it's a different sound. It's a completely different word and then it has a completely different meaning. And so when we look at how we implement that or how we kind of utilize that same concept and imitate process that we know is associated with typical speech development, when we imitate that process on an AAC device. We're providing consistent motor movements for words. We're building that motor memory, building those motor plans. The word never changes. The way they produce that word never changes. And I like to think of it, and I think one of the first LAN trainings I went to, I heard this, and this is where it kind of clicked for me too, is that everything else, everything we know about language, about teaching language is the same, but our AAC users are just using their hand as the articulator instead of their mouth.
0: Oh, I love that. Their hand is the articulator instead of the mouth.
1: That's freaking awesome. (laughs) And the first time I heard that, I think that is where it really clicked for me. This
0: podcast is brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. SpeechTherapyPD.com is an engaging, evidence-based continuing education site that offers over 450 continuing education hours. The best part? The information garnered can be applied in therapy immediately. It's functional and fabulous without the hassle of trying to translate technical jargon from a research article. Can I entice you more? Well, then get your suntan lotion ready because next summer, SpeechTherapyPD.com is hosting a CEU cruise! That's right. July 27th through August 3rd of 2019, the amazing, delightful, and oh so kind Char Beauchart, M-A-C-C-C-S-L-P, SLP, will be the featured speaker for 12 plus continuing education hours on a cruise ship through Greece. That's right. You heard it right. Greece. Want to get the preview uh, or want to catch a preview of the information she's going to share? Then tune into her pod course. The Speech Link, which is also eligible for continuing education through SpeechTherapyPD.com. Maybe, oh, just maybe, I'll
1: see y'all in Greece. Okay, so when I went, and God help me, I don't remember who it
0: was that taught yeah. the, the one-day class. Mm-hmm. Well, it was supposed to be three, and then it was one because of hurricane. Hurt. But you know how long it took me to register for one of y'all's classes oh. because I wanted to register for one the year before, but I got to put on emergency bed rest with the baby, and who's now four, and he's not a baby, but he's still my baby. But like, it was like this comedy of errors trying to get to this training, <laughs> <laughs> but like it happened. You finally made it. But I finally made it, and you know what? I think if I had gone earlier, I would not have been in a place in my professional walk to be open to the change. Right. But one of the things that the speaker said is you have to model back on the device the word that you want them to say. Not hand over hand forcing them. Right. But like if you want to say, I want to eat, just like you would model back with the infant, like the infant says mama or the infant says go, then you would model not obviously not an infant, but you know, right. then you would model it back verbally, go you would have to model on the device. Like I want to go, I want to go. And then the kid can model back and imitate that. But that was eye opening because even though I had had an AAC class in grad school, like a billion years ago, before I had so much gray hair, like that for whatever reason. And I don't know if it was because I had never actually seen AAC in use at that point in time, that that information just didn't stick. But We have to model, visually model the motor plan that we want them to imitate, just like they get the visual audio biofeedback of us imitating the spoken speech pattern.
1: Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. You bring up, you know, an important point there too. So we're modeling, you know, you think about our kids, we're modeling verbally for them all the time. For our AAC users, we're modeling on that device or on that system because we're modeling for them a different motor plan motor plans when yeah. they're using their hand and not their mouth. But you bring up an important point too in that is that, you know, we're modeling those motor plans versus always giving them the overhand assistance. Taking their hand and making them do it or, or helping them do it. And it doesn't mean that we don't ever give that physical assistance because sometimes for some kids initially we have to. But we yes. want them, if they're going to build those motor plans, we want them to be carrying out the motor movement on their own as independently as they can, as quickly as they can. You know, I like to think about, you know, what happens when we go to a new location that we've never been before. And the first time you go there, right, if you are the driver versus the passenger, how does that impact your ability then when you go to revisit that location with recalling how to get there, remembering how to get there, Yeah. right, if I'm driving, I'm paying attention, right? Yeah. I don't know about you, but as the passenger in the car, I'm probably not paying attention a whole lot to the directions and where we're going. So I'm more likely to remember it, to recall those steps if I'm in control, if I'm the driver versus if I'm the passenger. And I think about that with our AAC users. The more they're carrying out those movements, motor movements, motor plans independently, the more that they're the driver versus the passenger, the more likely they'll be to recall.
0: This makes me think of my mom. Well, technically my stepmom. My stepmom can get the darkest, most dramatic lipstick. And without even looking in the mirror, she can put that sucker on and have it look immaculate Mm -hmm. every time. She's got muscle memory for that. Now me, I have to painstakingly slow down, look in the mirror, then reapply at least 400 times Because I never wear it. I only wear it when I lecture or like if it's an important event. Otherwise, I'm like, bless it. I look like my grandma. And the lipstick is like kind of smearing into my like lips, my chin, my teeth. And, you know, I normally wear red. So that's really attractive. But like muscle memory. Wait, okay. On that note.
1: Athletes refer to it as muscle memory. We refer to it as automaticity in AAC. We talk about automaticity. And that comes from using... Having consistent motor patterns, consistent motor plans that never change, and that practice. So you talk about, you know, putting on that lipstick. If that's yes. you practice repeatedly, you're going to develop that automaticity or that motor memory for it. But
0: dude, I just took a fabulous picture. My my sweet friend Danny just took a fabulous picture of me putting on my giant chapstick. So oh, that way goodness. we can like share that when this goes we out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is fun. Okay, and also. To all the SLPs in the room, the OTs and the PTs that you collaborate with, they know all about the type one, type two muscle fibers and which ones that we're supposed to work with and and which ones establish the memory. So like if you have a kiddo that's got some deficits for gross motor, fine motor skill sets, incorporate your OTs and your PTs because they're like the gatekeepers of all things cool for the muscles. So. That's why we're supposed to utilize interprofessional practice as a team.
1: Yep, absolutely. And i that's something that I always hit on, you know, remind our, my SLPs that you know, we've got to coordinate, we've got to communicate and work together with our OTs and our PTs because we need them.
0: Yes. Okay. That brings me in into the next question that I have struggled with because I'm home health. I don't have OT or PT like right there to like grab into the session. You know what I mean? Because they're just physically not there. So if you have a child that needs to access an AAC device for functional communication, but they have limited vision, a cortical vision impairment, or a limited or compromised mobility, how do we utilize that with muscle memory to access core vocab?
1: Right. So there are, for our kids, for our individuals who have maybe compromised mobility. So those are our individuals who maybe aren't able to access that AAC device through their hand or through a direct selection. There are a number of alternate access options that we have out there for them. And this is something that's consistent in lots of AAC devices and lots of AAC systems. But you've got the ability to access AAC devices through eye gaze, through head tracking, through external switches that can be activated in a variety of different ways using different parts of the body. And that actual, that access piece, that's where our OTs, that's where our PTs really come into play with helping us work through finding what that best access method is for our kids. But even within those alternate access methods, we can still provide consistent motor plans words, no matter what access method they're using. Okay.
0: All right. So can you explain to me? And this is I have not had the opportunity to work with a child for eye gaze. Very I mean, I had one kiddo and we were using a very low tech device until we switched over to a voice generating device. And then the sweet little one, he got called home. So we didn't get too far down into. So I haven't had the Professional opportunity yet to work with a kid that has eye gaze, but I am still at a loss for what the difference is between eye gaze and head control.
1: And can you clarify that and clean that up for me? Um, I will do the best I can. I've had a number of eye gaze users over the years. I would not say that that has always been my primary population. So when you're looking at eye gaze versus head tracking, eye gaze is that they're utilizing the eyes, to access that device. So the device, no matter what AEC device you're using, if you've got an eye gaze module on it, then that eye gaze module is reading their eyes. So is that like a plug into the device or something? Yeah, so it's something that connects to your device. Whereas with a head tracking system, they are utilizing, a lot of times with a head tracking system, what you'll see with a child is they'll wear a little... A reflective dot or something on their head attached to their glasses. Vice is I've seen reading that. through kind of an infrared control, reading that dot. And as they're moving their head, then it's tracking where they're at and where they're looking. And a lot of times, what you'll see with the head tracking is may have a, a cursor on the screen. So you'll see that cursor kind of moving as they're moving their head to access the system.
0: Okay, so I've seen that right. before. So that's an outside device that attaches and plugs into. Right. Okay. Do they have them so that they can be more mobile and like attached to wheelchairs? I mean, that might be like a novice question, but like, I'm just thinking how would that work in a hallway if they're going between classrooms, would they have to have like an eye gaze thing in each classroom that they go to, or is it attached to like that external device? Is it
1: like attached to their wheelchair so that wherever they go? Absolutely. So that eye gaze module is attached to their speech generating device. And then that speech generating device would be mounted on their wheelchair or on their stroller so that no matter where they're going, they've got it with them.
0: All right. Is that the same with the head tracking component as well then?
1: Absolutely.
0: Okay. I haven't had the opportunity to really see that in action. So this is like this is new and exciting. I'm actually going, there's a class, I think I saw it advertised the beginning of May on eye Gaze and it was free. So like, you know, I'm a working speech pathologist. I like free high Absolutely. quality CE. Yeah. I'm signing up to go take that class. But I mean, you know, cause I just, even though I don't have a patient on my caseload now that has it, I still feel like I need that content information for Absolutely. the future. Okay. All right. So you talked about an external device that I'm imagining that, like, you tap through and then it like connects to the speech generating device. You referenced that. So what is that?
1: Right. For some users, the best access method may be an external switch, and exactly like you described it. So what happens is, and there are a variety of types of switches. So depending on the the user, depending on what part of the body maybe they're able to to activate that switch with, the switch could look different. The size of it could look different. But the device has the ability to be connected to that external switch. And so essentially what they're doing is they're scanning through their choices. So as the device is scanning through those words on the page and it's giving them some kind of auditory cue, visual cue, they hear the word that they want and they activate that switch to say it. So it kind of gives them that auditory scan piece. And we can, when we're using that access method with students, they're still learning a motor plan. They're still learning consistent motor plans. Okay. So I had
0: a kiddo one time and one of my mentors was like, you know, you can put the switch next to their cheek because when I see that or hear that, I still think fingertips, right? Like I still think hand, but the kiddo that I was working with had a demyelinating degenerative genetic condition. And so, like, hands were not right. able to access, you know? And so they were like, you know, you can put the switch device in the wheelchair and they can hit it with their cheek, or you can have them like blowing through a straw. Are, is that like real?
1: Yes. There are a variety of types of switches. So you have switches that you can place if it's, that they can access it with the side of their head or with the side of their cheek. You know, we can attach it to or the headrest or somewhere on their wheelchair so that they can activate it through the cheek, through the head. There are switches, yes, that like a pneumatic switch where blowing through it activates it. There are switches. I mean, just about anything you can think of. There's a way that someone can access a switch. And that's where I think a lot of times our OTs and our PTs really can help us with finding out where that purposeful movement is, you know, finding that consistent purposeful movement, finding the part of the body that they're able to access with. And there are even switches that are what we call proximity switches where they don't even have to actually come in contact with the switch, but they have to come within, have to move that body part within a certain proximity to the switch without making contact. What
0: that's blowing my mind. This is so cool. So anything
1: you can think of out there, it's there. Oh my gosh.
0: None of this was an option when I was a grad student, but like technology is evolving. This is the scary part of AAC to me. In some respects, I feel like utilizing AAC is scarier to me than treating pediatric dysphagia because there's so many different devices. And unless you like actually go and stay on top of, like there's no possible way to like know right. what all the options are.
1: Because it's always changing. It's always evolving. And, you know, and you mentioned those kids with limited vision or with you know, cortical visual yes. impairment. I think, you know, that's something that we're seeing more and more. There's a need in a lot of our AAC users, a lot of cortical visual impairment. There's a high percentage of that, or limited vision. And you know, I think with those kids in particular, those users who really can't rely much at all on their vision to be able to locate mm-hmm. buttons on a device or icons on a screen, or to be able to discriminate symbols, that assistant motor planning is all the more crucial for them. And there are options out there for those with limited vision with CVI, high contrast symbols with simplifying the icons on the device, you know, taking out some of the detail. And if they're using Lamp Words for Life, have a Lamp Words for Life that's specifically designed for students, individuals with visual impairments. So it has those high contrast I symbols. no it idea. It has... What we've kind of done is simplified the motor plans a little bit so that it enhances their rate of communication and it reduces the amount of tactile searching that they have to do. And then we pair that with a tactile key guard that goes on the device that has raised markers so that gives them into where they are or where their hand is on the screen. So there's options out there. Awesome.
0: Okay. So now I have a couple of questions. We're going to go off script now if you're okay with that. (laughs) Okay. All right. So when I first started, we, you know, we talking the Velcro stage a million years ago and speech generating devices were just starting to become a more reliable thing. The problem that I saw is that even in like our mid tech options, people were pulling out sheets and yeah. replacing sheets like laminated sheets and the kid would develop a muscle memory, but it would have to be to yes. that one sheet and then it would change. Or they would use the three ring binder with like picks and we'd have to pull all these pictures off. But those pictures move because we don't put them back. So how is Lamp Words for Life different than some of the other options out
1: there? So the major thing with Lamp Words for Life is that we're providing consistent motor plans for words. So the location of the words in the system, in the way the vocabulary is represented and organized, doesn't change. Those pictures aren't moving. The other big difference is that we talk a lot about providing a consistent motor plan, but we also think that it's important that the motor plans are unique. So when we think about the way we say words verbally, the way I say go is very different motorically from the way I say the word stop. The way I move my articulators to say those words is very unique. So when we look at how the vocabulary is organized, we're providing consistent locations for those words, consistent motor plans, but the motor plans are also unique. So an example of that, if you're looking at Lamp Words for Life, what you would see is that the words that we typically might teach together, like stop and go or on and off or big and little, you will see that those words are not stored side by side on the device. They're not next to each other. Yes. They're actually pretty far apart from one another because we want the motor plans for those words to be unique from one another. And yes. the other piece of it, the other big piece of it, because what you'll see is when you look at, you know, this talk about consistent motor plans and and considering motor planning in the design of speech generating device is not something that's solely unique. So Words for Life, you see some consistent motor planning in other systems, but what you don't see sometimes or what, what you'll see that's different, I think, about other systems is that you may find a word stored in multiple places on that device. So the word more may be on 10 pages or 15 pages. So there are multiple ways, multiple motor plans for that one word. So we talk about Mm -hmm. what we really believe, and that's why Lamp Words for Life is designed this way, is that there's a consistent motor plan, there's a unique motor plan, and there's only one motor plan for every word. So what you'll see is that every word is stored only in one location. Because when we think about verbal speech, the way I say the word orange doesn't change motorically, it doesn't come off my articulators any differently. Whether I'm using it to talk about a color or whether I'm using it to talk about a fruit. The word blue, you know, mm-hmm. I think about the different ways I can use the word blue. It's a color. It's also how I feel sometimes, right? Especially yes. when we're low. <laughs> Absolutely. On coffee. We're top uh-huh. low on coffee at the moment, it's all gone. <laughs> Cup number three, is I I got three sips <laughs> left. Yes. So but we don't motorically produce that word any differently with our articulators but we derive the context Mm -hmm. or derive the meaning from the context. So that's something that's very unique too, is that there's only one way to say every word.
0: Okay. All right. So then I have another question. What is the backstory behind how this got designed?
1: So when we, we talk about lamp and we talk about lamp words for life, and I always make sure that I make this kind of very clear to people, they're two different things, but they go together. So lamp, that language acquisition through motor planning is a therapy approach. And it's a therapy approach that really came out of the practices. And we have to attribute it, give all the credit to John and Cindy. John and Cindy Halloran are a husband and wife team. They live in Little Rock and she's an OT. SLP.
0: I'm going there next month. Are you? Oh my God. I'm going there next month. Oh my gosh. I want to like take pictures with them. Okay, can you can you do that? Can you introduce yeah. me to these gurus and like I can like Absolutely. be geeky? Yeah. Oh my god. Okay.
1: <laughs> okay, sorry squirrel. Continue. I'm sorry. So, she is an OT, he is an SLP, and they had a private practice that and they worked primarily with students with or children with autism. And so the whole LAMP methodology, the whole LAMP approach came out of that practice and what they were seeing and what they were doing with their students and the clients that they were working with. So LAMP is that therapy approach. It's teaching language through an AAC system and teaching consistent motor plans for words. But there's a lot of other pieces to it. We talk a lot about, you know, addressing their sensory needs and getting the, the child or the user to a place where their arousal levels are ready that they can receive the op- optimal benefit from that learning experience. Um, that's a big piece of mm-hmm. it, too. But the whole LAMP methodology really kind of just pairs what we know about typical speech development and just using an AC device, using the hand as the articulator instead of the mouth. So there's the approach LAMP. And then there's Lamp Words for Life. And Lamp Words for Life is the vocabulary. It's the the vocabulary that's on either an accent device that's manufactured by a Pranky Roma company, and then there's also a Lamp Words for Life app that's an iOS app. And that vocabulary, the way the vocabulary is organized and the way the language is represented fits all of those key elements and all of what we teach in that link methodology. So those are kind of the two pieces. And that Lamp Words for Life, if anybody's used Romic devices, has ever used Unity, that's the language system that's in one of the language systems that's in the PRC devices. But Lamp Words for Life was kind of based on Unity. So it's very similar in a lot of ways to Unity. That consistent motor planning is really something you see in both. But it's slightly different to really fit all of the key elements of the Lamp approach.
0: Okay, so one thing, Pranky Romic, am I saying that right or wrong? Yep, Prankyromic. Okay, so they have something called PRC Core Vocab, and y'all, you can find it on their website. It's a sheet, it's a list, it's a PDF that you can download that has the first 100 core vocab words that are well-researched, and then it also um, correlates over to, and correct me here, the Dolch Primary Reader. Isn't that the word, Dolch? Yep. And, um, it's available on their website for free. So if you guys want to utilize this and add this in, you can just, I mean, I I love me some free, um, resources. So that's a really good one.
1: Yeah. And the other thing that, you know, talking about free resources, we can share some of this too, but there's the Pranky Romic company, which is our, you know, they manufacture, sell the devices and, and, you know, I've got a lot of, Consultants all over the country that help support and, you know, help AAC users and families acquire, get access to those devices. Then the Center for AAC and Autism, who's, who I work for, provides those LAMP trainings. So we provide the training on the LAMP methodology and the, the approach to teaching it. Um, and a little bit, we also do some trainings on, on the LAMP boards for life vocabulary and understanding, you know, how it's organized, understanding how to use, the system, program, understanding the features. And there's a lot of resources on our website as well. When you're talking about core vocabulary, the one that really comes to mind too is on the Center for AAC and Autism's website. Under resources, there is a core word of the week packet. Another free resource. So you may look at that core word list that you get and look at those top 100 words. And then if you take that core word of the week, Packet or that resource, it just kind of gives you some nice ways to think about how to begin to teach those words.
0: Okay, so is it under? Are you on this? I'm on, I'm on the mm-hmm. AAC Autism website. So, so go where do to, I go? If You're on
1: your tabs at the top. There should be one, and I'm doing this from memory now. Is there one that says resources?
0: I got AAC and Autism. What is Lamp? Success stories, training, certification are about the center, but I'm doing it from my phone. So there's that yep, oh wait you ah, resources, resources and, and support. support. It's a flab header. So go to what is lamp and then da- oh
1: this is yeah, cool. LAMP resources download. Oh, and this is lovely. Got, then there's some other resources there too. So resources PDFs on you know some supports and ideas for using devices in the classroom, using devices at home. And then that core word of the week is there too. Yep.
0: Free stuff. Yes, I see it right here. Oh my god, this is so much fun. Okay, hang on, it's popping up. Oh, I love this. Yes. Okay. All right. And as one thing that I just have to say, one, one of the difficulties I had getting buy-in from parents was that the pictures don't always correlate to the word. And like, I remember one dad going, but Michelle, it doesn't look the way it should look. And I'm like, that's your perception. And the dad looked at me. I was like, that's your perception. But your daughter is using it. Your daughter, who is nonverbal with her physical voice, just gave you a four-word utterance independent with her fingertip. And the dad was like, well, yeah, but the pictures don't
1: look right. And she's not looking at it. And I'm like, muscle memory, that's, That's the important piece, I think. So many times the adults, those of us that aren't using the system, We get really hung up on the pictures. We get stuck on those pictures because they don't make sense to us. But for our kids, the pictures, for our users, the pictures don't matter. They're not using those pictures. They're not visually scanning. They're not discriminating between icons. They're learning motor plans. They're building muscle memory. And they're getting to a point where they no longer even look at the pictures. Like he said, my child's not even looking at the pictures because she doesn't have to anymore. Yes. you know, And we have a number of one of our ambassadors, so one of our adult AAC users, who's using Words for Life, who does a lot of work with the center, does a lot of Skype calls, and he goes to conferences and talks with families. Every time I bring this up to him or every time we have this discussion, he says, I wish that all of you people would just give it a rest and quit getting so hung up on the pictures because he said, we don't care. There are devices and there are systems out there where you do have to rely on the pictures. You do have to know what the pictures mean. But if there's a consistent motor plan for a word, then that doesn't matter. Now do I no longer have to visually scan or discriminate between pictures to know what it is that those words, those pictures mean. And a lot of our kids, I think a lot of our kids that have complex communication needs and that require a speech generating device, a lot of them, their sensory impairments and their cognitive impairments are going to impede their ability to use a system. Performing that motor movement repeatedly when it's in a consistent pattern just improves their performance and ends up being easier for them than having to learn the meanings of those pictures and know where that icon is based on that point of navigation that they're starting
0: Well, I I can say I've seen it. I've witnessed it. I loved it. Y'all, they have some good videos on their website and that's some kiddos that are like more advanced with it. And I have some videos on my Facebook page, Heartwood Speech Therapy, that, and you go to the videos where you can see me kind of doing like the groundwork. I mean, like the starting at the beginning with it. And it's just, it's really cool to see the progression. Because it's awesome to take a kid from not having a voice and all of a sudden they have communication. That is one of the coolest, most humbling aspects of our professional careers. And uh, yeah, there it is. Okay. Thank you so much for letting me pick your brain today. Mm -hmm. So I have like one last real quick question. If folks are interested in learning more about LAMP approach to
1: AAC, where can they go? If they go to aacandautism.com, which is our website, there you can find information on LAMP trainings. So when you're on the Center for AAC and Autism's website, you just have to go to LAMP training and find a LAMP workshop. And so there you can search. You can find where we're going to be there's a location that's close to you that you can get to there's information on hosting a lamp workshop if you know facilities are interested in maybe having a lamp training in their facility there's lots of other information lots of other resources on there as well so i would encourage people to kind of check that out if they want to get more information and, and training on it awesome
0: yay Okay, so I have to give a shout out to the lovely Miss Danielle Kruger from South Carolina State University. This lovely lady has ridden shotgun with me today to see all the tiny humans, and she got to sit around and hang out to hear Yay. the one and only Miss <laughs> Becca Hoke. So, um, and she's graduating. Yeah. And what?
1: Yes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and so she'll be getting her seat oh, wow. off here. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> then you can pay off all your student loan debt. Right. <laughs> okay. So, Miss Danny, say hi to the folks. Hello,
1: everyone. And I'm glad to be Daddy. on this podcast with you guys. <laughs> Thank, <laughs> Thank you. God
0: yay she now has awesome. head core vocab drilled into her Yay!
1: You know, it was
0: fun awesome well wow. becca thank you yeah thank and we you. could probably talk for hours yeah, on yeah I, I mean i i think this is fun but i mean we're only like exactly absolutely yeah. <laughs> but that's how you know you love what you do and that's awesome yeah okay And as always, remember, feed your mind, feed your soul, be kind, and feed those babies.